God. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the word of God. I don't know if you guys read the book or saw the movie while you were growing up or recently of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck. It's a little book, um, but it's a very powerful book. And in some ways, it's very controversial. But for our purposes, it serves a really good illustration to understanding our passage today. If you don't know the story, it's a story about two men during the Great Depression in America. And they're migrant workers, meaning they were just wandering around trying to find jobs. Um, and of course, they have the American dream. They want their own place one day, but they're trying to save up for that. And there are two guys, George Milton, uh, who's the shorter, smarter guy. And then there's the bigger guy, Lenny Smalls, uh, ironic nonetheless. Um, but um, they're walking around trying to find a job, and what happens by the end of the story is that Lenny basically gets the two of them into trouble. He always does, because although he's very powerful and big, 
he does not have the mental capacity to fully understand the consequences of his actions. So he gets people into trouble. Um, he kills a girl by mistake because he has this attachment to soft things. He likes feeling soft things, so he feels her hair and uh, he gets into trouble and he accidentally kills her. Uh, but before that happens, as they're walking on, the, on their way, he finds a mouse and he, he loves how soft the mouse is, but he accidentally kills it because his grip is too strong. And Lenny, uh, he's trying to keep it, he has it in his pocket, and George, he finds out and he basically tells Lenny to throw it away and he takes it and he casts it off. That's why the book is called Of Mice and Men, because the mouse had plans, of course its, pl its mousy plans were interrupted by Lenny's hands. And in the same way, uh, George and Lenny, they have these plans. And, and also, all the characters, they have their own personal plans for their futures, and yet they get interrupted um, because the book centers around the theme of loneliness and powerlessness. Um, it's about uh, how lonely people are, how they're not connected, and they're trying to find some sort of meaning in their lives and create it, but in the course of their planning and in the course of taking the necessary steps and actions to, to ultimately attain and experience that meaning, they lose it because of events that, that happen outside of their control. And ultimately, because of Lenny's misactions, George ends up shooting Lenny in the head. Not because he's trying to get rid of him, but because he doesn't want Lenny to suffer in the hands of his persecutors. Um, but right before George is about to shoot Lenny, um, he says to Lenny, and he says this with a torn heart, because th this is what they hoped for, but now that dream is gone and it's torn apart. And he says, guys like us, they got no family. And they ain't got nobody in the world to give a hoot and hell about, but not us. Because I got you. And Lenny responds to George, and I got you, George. And then that's when George shoots Lenny in the head. When you look at the story, it's very tragic. Um, and that's why the, the phrase that we know well, uh, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. They don't really happen. When you look at the story, it helps us understand what is, what is the natural way for human beings to respond and react to circumstances that are outside of their control. What happens when you had certain plans laid out for your life and they don't come into fruition? Or maybe they did come into fruition, but you thought it would be so much more than it actually was. And so even if you achieve your goals, you realize that those goals did not satisfy you the way that you thought they would. Right? Um, in our passage today, there are three people with three plans. You have Saul, you have Ananias, and you have the Lord. And when you look at each person's plans, they're different from each other, and yet they're similar to each other. And in the midst of it all, 
There is only one security found in any of those plans. Basically, the story and the main point of, of Mice and Men is that, and John Steinbeck, what he wanted to communicate to his readers was that he wanted people ultimately to understand each other. And only in understanding each other can you really find meaning in life. And can you really appreciate the other person, even when your circumstances are spiraling out of control. And so in the case of, of Mice and Men, Lenny was misunderstood. Right? But in order for us to understand each other, right, we can hope for that. And yet, the tragedy of even Steinbeck's uh, longing to communicate hope to, for people to understand each other, we, we find ourselves in a world, even though many years have passed since his writing this book, we find ourselves in a situation where we still don't really understand each other. We still are in conflict with each, with each other on a national scale, on a cultural scale. Even within our own families, we find conflict and this inability to understand. And so much like the message of the book, we find ourselves experiencing the same kind of loneliness, the same kind of disconnectedness, and the same kind of um, this feeling of not being in control. So what's the answer to all this? Is the answer just, well, that's life, so we need to just cope with it and make the best of it that we can? Right? Is that the answer? Well, if you're more pragmatic and what you care about is how things work out in life, then yes, that can be an answer. But I, I am convinced that there is a better answer. And we need to look at the plans of Saul and Ananias and the Lord to find that answer. Let's look at Saul's plans in verses 1 through 9. Saul's plans was he, he wanted to persecute Christians, meaning he wanted to kill them off. And so he went to the city, Damascus. By the way, Damascus was not a Jewish city. Saul is a Jewish guy, right? He was one of the best, the creme de la creme of the Jewish Pharisees, right, of the Jewish leaders. And yet, he reaches out to a Damascus city. He would never be, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't even be in this kind of a city if it wasn't for this mission. So he went to Damascus, a non-Jewish city, right, risking himself to be unclean in order to seize and imprison these Christians. Now, you have to understand, the only people who were imprisoned back then were the people who were basically condemned to death. So if you went to prison back in ancient Rome, you, you were basically going to die. Right? So when it says that he wanted to, when you look in the beginning of our, our, of our passage, when he said in verse 2, and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, meaning Jesus Christ, anybody believing in Jesus Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And if they were bound, then their future was inevitable. They would be executed. And so that was his plan. But along the way, he meets Jesus Christ. And if you know, Jesus Christ is, he died by this time. 
Okay? He died on the cross, and he resurrected. And the way that Jesus appears to him is not in the flesh, but he appears to him not as a suffering servant, but as the risen and resurrected king. And he appears to him in this manner, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And you're wondering, why in the world did Jesus have to um, repeat Saul's name? Why did Jesus say, Saul, Saul? Why not just say, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I mean, he's Jesus. He's going to get the attention of the person he's talking to. Well, there's one other occasion in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord actually repeats someone's name in order to get their attention. And it's in, it's in Genesis. And it's when Abraham is about to strike Isaac to kill him. And the angel of the Lord comes down and he says, Abraham, Abraham, don't kill your son Isaac. And the reason why Abraham was about to kill his son Isaac is because it was a test. Not for God to fully realize whether Abraham was going to be faithful to God or not, but in order for God to teach Abraham whether he was going to be faithful. Right? So you find yourself, especially, you know, your parents could have done this to you, and if you are a parent, you probably do this to your children. You give them a test because you love them. But not, you already know the answer. You know what they're going to do, and you know what they're going to say. And yet you test them anyway, not in order for you to know what's going to happen, because you already know, but in order to teach them. It's a teaching moment. Right? And God appeared to Abraham in that way to get his attention and to teach him. And so in the same way, Jesus appears to Saul, and he says, Saul, Saul. And the urgency is there that was there with Abraham. But the urgency is for Saul, right? Jesus Christ is not, is not feeling urgent because Saul's on his way to persecute Christians. And if he doesn't get Saul's attention soon enough, Saul's going to kill, kill off Christians outside of Jesus' control. That's not his worry. His, wor his, his concern is for Saul to now change his life, right? So Jesus' urgency is for Saul's benefit. And it's an unexpected encounter. Saul experienced Jesus Christ when he didn't expect to experience Jesus Christ, when he didn't plan on it. And it was an extremely humbling experience because the great light that shone around him when Jesus appeared, it threw him to the ground, right? And it also blinded him. And so it was extremely humbling for Saul. And secondly... Oh, before I go to Ananias, Saul, when Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You have to understand, again, Jesus was not alive on earth at this time. And so for Jesus to say, why are you persecuting me? Jesus identifies so closely with his people that when Saul persecutes and harms Christians, he sees that as an offense and an attack upon himself. That's how much the resurrected Lord and Savior identifies with his people. When his people are attacked, he sees himself being attacked. And you see, that's the kind of love that exists between God and man. That's the kind of love that God has for you today. He identifies with you so much that when you are under attack, he sees it as an attack upon himself. He's there with you, desiring to suffer with you, desiring to pull you through. 
that's hard, that difficult situation. And his resurrection guarantees his success at strengthening you, at comforting you, and encouraging you as his savior, right? Um, Saul here, he doesn't know who, he's, who, who this person is. He says, who are you, Lord? He just knows this person needs to be respected right now. He has no idea who this is. Um, and yet, after this moment, this is the only person that he confesses to know and know the best, right? So he came from a point where he didn't even know anything about this Jesus as far as a personal relationship goes. And from this moment on, Saul becomes Paul, which, by the way, Saul is a Jewish name and Paul is a Greek name. And he did that in order to show the change in his life. And he did this, and from this point on, he began to be faithful to one person, not himself and not to Judaism, but to Jesus Christ only. Now, Ananias, he's a Christian. And, but the thing is, he has his own plans. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you have the holiest plans, right? In fact, you look at Ananias here, his plans also go awry, just like Saul's plans, right? Ananias' plans, his plan is not to meet Saul. He wants to avoid Saul at all costs. Because when Jesus appears to him in a vision, Ananias says, when Jesus says, you need to meet Saul, and you need to... Uh, make, make his eyes, make him see, and he needs to be baptized. And I'm sending you to meet this guy. Now, Ananias, he knows this guy. He knows Saul. Saul's infamous for killing off Christians. And so Ananias, he has no desire to meet Saul. Because, and we see that when he says to Jesus, Lord, I know this guy. He has harmed your people. He has done so much evil against you and against your church, right? Essentially, what he's saying is, I don't want to meet this guy. <laughs> That's what he's saying. That's his plans, right? And then what basically Jesus responds as, he, he basically says, I have chosen him to be my instrument. I have chosen him. Now, if you're Ananias, you're going to be like, why in the world would you choose this guy? <laughs> of all people, why would you choose this guy? Do you... And he knows who Jesus is. He knows he's God. So he's not going to ask the question, do you even know what he did? Of course God knows. God knows everything. So the question is, it's not because, it's not a lack of knowledge that God has chosen Saul. Why did God choose Saul? Well, when you take the worst, this most disqualified person to be used for God and his work, you realize that the only person you can give credit to is not that person and not his credentials, but to God himself. When you see someone as disqualified as Saul being used for the gospel, you can only give glory to God. And you see, it brings the focus back upon the resurrected Savior. You see, it's not about how, how much of great things that we can do for God, but it's about the great thing that Christ has done for us. And that's what drives us to live excellently with joy and happiness in life. So Ananias, he hears Jesus saying, I have chosen him. Here's the thing. I have chosen him to suffer for my name. We like to be chosen, don't we? Whether it's college or for a job or for whatever else, right? Um, 
how about if God actually called you to suffer? <laughs> right? Would you like to be chosen for that? I wouldn't. Right? Um, no one wants to be chosen to suffer. Right? But Jesus Christ, he has chosen Saul to suffer. Now, you can think of it in a different way. You can be like, well, since he's caused so much suffering, I guess it's good that he's chosen to suffer. Right? But that's not what's in view here. That's not Ananias' heart. You see, Ananias, even though his plans were to avoid Saul at all costs, okay, you can just think of any relationship that you want to avoid. Okay? Ananias wanted to avoid this guy at all costs. But you know what? Because of the command of the Lord, he went and met Saul. You're like, okay, so he did it behaviorally, but I bet his heart wasn't genuine. Right? I bet he didn't want to. Right? Well... If you look at the first two words that came out of Ananias' mouth when he met Saul, you know his heart was genuine. Because the first two words, when you look in your passage that he addresses Saul with, he says, Brother Saul. He says, Brother Saul. It's the first time he met him. Okay? The only thing Ananias knows about Saul is harm, hatred, persecution, Okay? Evil. Okay? He has basically demonized this guy, and for very good reason. And yet, at the command of the Lord, and at the revelation of God's will for Saul to Ananias, when Ananias understood what the will of God was for his life and for Saul's life, he goes to this house, he obeys immediately, and he addresses this stranger, right, who is infamous for killing off Christians, right? Can we speculate a little? Maybe Saul killed off some people Ananias knew and loved. Maybe some friends, maybe some family members. He addresses this persecutor, this enemy of the gospel, and he says, Brother Saul. It's pretty moving if you really read over it without, uh, gloss, without uh, glossing over those words, right? Verse 17 so Ananias departed and entered the house. Um, and laying his hands on him, meaning Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you come has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. How do you go up to a stranger that you have heard terrible things about, and how do you call them a brother? How do you treat them like a brother? You know, you could have been like Jonah. You're like, this, guy, this is impossible, right? Just think of Jonah. Jonah, in the Old Testament, he had a commission. He had a mission. God gave him a mission. Preach repentance to Nineveh so that they repent. The thing is, if you don't know anything about Nineveh and Jonah, Jonah was a Jew. Nineveh was their worst enemy, Right? So Jonah, as a prophet of the Lord, wanted Nineveh to die. He wanted God to judge them. But God was like, go to Nineveh and preach repentance to them so that they can hear the truth, so that they can repent, and so that I can have mercy on them. You know what Jonah did? He ran the other way. He got swallowed by fish. He got regurgitated. All right? And he came, and then it had to take that for him to get over there and to preach repentance. And you know what? It wasn't even that genuine, it wasn't even a genuine love for the Ninevites because after he did, after he did preach, 
he, came, he went off to himself and he got depressed. Do you know why? This is a prophet of the Lord. This is a messenger, holy servant of God. You know why? He got mad. You know why he got mad? Because God, because they actually repented and they turned to God and God had mercy on them. He's like, look, this is why I didn't want to come here. Right? <laughs> when you see people like that, they're just human beings. And you know what? Being a Christian, you know, for Ananias, he's just a human being. But do you know why he was able to address the stranger and this enemy of the gospel as Brother Saul? And not only in words, but in action to give him back his sight. If you had the power to make, to do something amazing for someone that you hated, would you do it? You don't have to answer that, right? Um, Ananias, he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And you're like, why? Why? Well, why are we here today? It's because Christ is risen. And for Ananias, that meant the world. It's because Christ rose from the dead after suffering for our sins and because he has been so forgiven by the risen king himself. He knows he must show that forgiveness to others. And not only must, it is not, not merely an obligation, it is a passionate desire. Because he, his actions outflow from a heart filled with gratitude, a heart filled with mercy. Ananias' plans went awry. And we look at the third person, the Lord himself. The Lord's plans was to use Saul for the gospel. Saul was disqualified, but he was chosen. And he was chosen not for something great and amazing, although he did great and amazing things, but he was chosen to suffer. And Ananias... He had other plans, and yet God called him to love and to accept someone who was unlovable and unworthy to be accepted. This Saul became Paul, the greatest ancient missionary of that time. And he didn't have flights to take. Right? He rode ships. We're talking months, right? He didn't fly to these mission places, right? He suffered. He was proud of being beaten for the gospel. And right after he was beaten and right after he was ridiculed and insulted and um, immensely treated less than human, the very next day, he would just get up and preach the gospel again. Why? Because of the risen king. You see, when you have a power so great in your life that cannot leave you no matter what mistake you do, when you have Christ's resurrection strengthening you in your mind and in your heart and in your lives, you can take on anything. You can take on self-destruction. 
not in a bad way, but in a martyrdom way. And yet, you can find a happiness and a satisfaction that cannot be rationalized through, but can be received and experienced joyfully in the grace of God. So I'm going to leave you with that. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And when it does, we should celebrate. <laughs> because all the laid plans of the Lord and Savior never go awry. I know corny, but I hope it sticks, right? God's plans will never falter. He has a purpose and a plan for each of us here. And I'll tell you personally, hey, if you want to meet up sometime over coffee and I can spill the beans on my past three years of my life, you will see great suffering. <laughs> Maybe I'm being overdramatic. It's not great suffering. But I went through some tough times. And I'd be happy to divulge. But I'm standing here before you guys, and I will testify that even in the midst of suffering, there was so much grace. And it just carried me through. And whatever you're going through, his grace is more than enough for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being such an amazing God. We love you so much because you loved us first. Lord, the best laid plans that we make for ourselves will falter. It will go awry. But your eternal plans will never falter. It cannot be hindered, and it will always be successful. So, Lord, like Saul and like Ananias, Lord, fixing our gaze upon the resurrected King and Savior and Lord, help us to let go of our plans and to follow your eternal plan by the grace that you sufficiently supply to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please arise for our response.